Hi, and welcome to another episode of the Bleeding Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Benker. And on the show today, we have Daniela Prahovic, all the way from Sydney. Daniela, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. We're going to be covering the bleeding edge of becoming an adolescent, uh, dealing with adolescence, and uh, maintaining, I think, what is a positive mindset, outlook, and preparation for future life. Um, Daniela, you have a history of helping young people navigate these fundamental early stages. And um, you've got your Bachelors of Social Welfare from Charles Sturt University. But before you even did that, you did a community service program uh, while you were a teenager and immediately started to help young people, even as a young person yourself. You've been a teacher, you're a facilitator, you're a mentor, you've qualified in all of these skills and capabilities. And you've recently started Inner Spark. And uh, I think the mission that you're looking to, to serve is really helping teenagers uh, prepare for a, you know, basically build their life skills. Um, and I'm trying to find the mission statement here, which I had prepared diligently, but seemed <laughs> to have misplaced. So I'm actually going to go and, uh, and just pull that up so that I can, to inspire young people to improve on their living skills and life skills so they may feel ready to ignite into the world of adulthood with confidence. Yes. So... That's the idea. <laughs> that's the idea. So what, what's, the, what, what's the most satisfying, what's the biggest moment, do you think, in your career so far that just made it all come together for you? Was there a, a moment where you helped somebody and it just said, well, this is what I've got to do with my life? Um, well, I think it all started that first year where I was getting into industry. I was really young. I was a teenager myself. Um, I was fortunate enough to come from a safe home and a good home. So I didn't really know what was out there, you know. Um, I wanted to help people and then I decided to do this community services course. And then I met, um, I went on a camp with 60 young people and I was thrown in the middle of nowhere, uh, five hours from home with 60 young people and we were out in the bush and I just got to know these young people and build these relationships and hear these life stories that I've never heard. It's stuff that, you know, you only hear of in the, in the movies or, you know, on the news. And it was just, wow, this really exists and I can help and make a change in these young people's lives. After that five days being in the middle of nowhere and working through some of the issues and concerns these young people had, I just knew I wanted to continue. It was a really crazy five days. I was exhausted. I didn't eat. I was hot. Um, I didn't sleep. Um, but I really realized that's where I want to be and I want to go on and help. So that's uh, obviously, you know, a key part of, of growing up is being an adolescent. But one of the things that just struck me as a very interesting uh statistic is that apparently around 50% of all mental health conditions start as a teenager. So uh, they've actually put a number to it. They've said the age is 14, 50% of all mental health issues start from the age of 14. And obviously that's an awful long time to be 
growing up and entering the world. So just tell us a little bit about what kind of problems you see children facing and, uh, and the types of things that you're helping them with. Yeah. So in, in the caseworker role, we're supporting young people, um, a lot of mental health at the moment. When I originally started being a caseworker 15 years ago, mental health was not really talked about. Um, it was there, it existed, but there were, wasn't many support services around for these young people. Um, so we didn't really do much with it. We just kind of gave them tips and tricks, what we knew of. But as years went by, we realised actually we need to be talking about it more. We need more money for this. We need more services for these young people. So today, uh, one of the biggest things is self-harm. And we see a lot of young people experimenting with self-harm. So they do it. There's many different reasons. Um, they feel good when they uh, release that pressure from them. They call it the pressure. Um, they also do it because it's cool, because their friends are doing it. Um, but then all of these things lead into more severe mental health problems. So self-harm is a big one. And depression is another one that young people have um, here in Australia. I can speak for who I've worked with here in Australia. They would be the highest that I see. So um, this social media plays a big part in it, I'd have to say. Social media, the young people are engaging in all these different platforms, which I'm sure you're aware of, right, Ralph? What's out there, what exists? There's heaps, isn't there? Um, and young people are just like trying to compare themselves to others and it's making it really difficult for them to find who they are within themselves because they're constantly comparing themselves to other people on these platforms. So that's a difficulty I think social media plays a massive part with the mental health stuff in 2020. Yeah, I mean, adults struggle with it, right? You're talking yeah. about controlling your life. Everybody's sharing their best best of moments and uh, we think, wow, they've all got great lives. Why is yeah. mine so shit? <laughs> yeah, yeah, true. And adults do it. So imagine being 14, still growing. Your mind is growing. Your body's growing. Your hormones are changing rapidly. It's really difficult. You know, parents, are they supportive? Are they there? Do you have caregivers and parents around you? It's, it's so many factors being a teenager. Yep. So it's really uh, been a difficult journey for some of the young people I've worked with. But we got there. We got some positive outcomes. So I put a smile on my face because there has been really good outcomes and it's good that community services organisations and companies exist to help these young people. Yeah, so what kind of, of, uh, of, of things are you actually doing with them? So if you think about the, the people that you've had results with, um, yeah. is there uh, a unifying factor, if you like, uh, in terms of what succeeds in, in terms of treatment? I mean, I, you know, I have a teenager. Teenagedom is clearly difficult. I've been there. Um, we can see some very particular programs playing out. Um, you know, we can see when the hormones are really running wild and uh, there's a lot of there's a lot of depression at times and just kind of sadness. But I think that's part and parcel of, of the growing process. So in some ways, um, we don't always want to just brand something, a bad feeling, a poor feeling, a rush of hormones as, oh, I've got mental health and anxiety and depression. How do you kind of make the distinction? Um, and, and maybe what, you know, what works? How do you see you kind of break through and get a result? Yeah. Well, I think um, there's a lot of difference. It's about the interaction for a young person. 
So are they getting out there and speaking to people? Are they isolating themselves away from people? Are they staying home a lot and not feeling like they can talk to others? Have you noticed a massive change? So it's usually there's a big change in someone's behaviour and therefore their parents reach out to us or their caregivers. All the young people find us through the schools. So um, as a worker, because I just started in a spark, so it's very fresh and very new, but uh, as a caseworker before this, the biggest thing was uh, I love the strength-based approach. I talk about that in every podcast, every kind of social media thing that I go on. So um, everyone knows me for that and they probably get annoyed hearing about it. But the strength-based approach is amazing. It, it focuses on the positives um, about you know, you and and you as an individual, what do you already have? What's good about you that already exists? And once I've worked out that with a young person, I can make a beautiful plan with them to kind of work on what they feel are missing. They guide the whole work that I do with them. So therefore, this life skills and living skills uh, programs that I've come up with um, through Inner Spark, I found a bit of a gap where there's a lot of young people disengaging from education here and they feel like they don't belong in a high school is what we call it here. And, you know, they are lost. They don't know where they're going to go, what they're going to do. So I've developed these little skills uh, programs that they can participate in and they're engaging, they're very youth-friendly and at the end they get certificate of participation that leads to their resume or their CV and it helps them get a job, their first job. So I found a little bit of a gap that needed to be filled on some of the parts. I mean, there's so many gaps, but uh, that's what I want to provide, a digital online platform where young people can do this stuff from the comfort of their own home because young people are the experts in their own life. You're the expert, Ralph, in your life. There's a lot of us, um, or every single one of us are. We got to this point in our lives because we've got good stuff already about us. So let's look at that and let's let our strengths help us through the difficult times. So that's yeah. the approach that I've seen get outcomes. Well, I mean, you know, you're, again, you're, you're touching on this idea of accountability. You are the expert of your life, so you're the only one that can really figure yeah. it out. Uh, I'm obviously in trouble in that case. But anyway. Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> why, do I, why do I still feel like a teenager, Daniela, after all these years? Do we ever lose our inner teenager? That's really good that you haven't lost that inner spark is what I call it because that is what keeps you motivated to keep going, right? That's what keeps you feeling good about life and enjoying what you do. So the more we, we like go inside ourselves and find that spark, it is. It, it makes you smile. It makes you wake up in the mornings. And that's why I did come up um, with that name because it is what we all need. doesn't matter how old you are. I had a guy come up to me a few days ago and he's 45 and he said to me, can I buy your program? And I said, well, you don't fit in in the age, but, hey, we can talk about stuff on the side. He's like, well, I don't even know where I belong, you know, and it was just interesting because a lot of us don't know where we belong and, and sometimes we find it when we're 60 and that's all right, but we've got to get there, you know. We've got to keep that positivity. We've got to get to 60. So what gets you there, you know? So you're not, you're not lost, Ralph. Yeah, yeah. No, I don't feel too, too, too lost. I'm okay with uh, a little bit of unknown and ambiguity. Uh, that's what the future is all about. For me, it's just about being ultra comfortable with that. So yeah. uh, the strength-based approach feels like it, it's a great way to just get people to think about what they've got and mm. actually start appreciating something that they already have and don't need to work for. So you're, you're kind of unlocking that. And um, 
And then this idea of building towards that first job, that's really fascinating. I had Matt Silver, who runs the Shaftesbury High School uh, for special needs kids um, in the UK on an earlier podcast. And what was fascinating about the problem he set out is that 96% of his his kids uh, don't get jobs. When they graduate, they don't go into employment. And so actually, you know, they are deeply affected before they even start. And it's so important for their confidence that they can actually exit school, feel like they've got skills that society actually values, and, uh, and they can start contributing and participating. So he's basically incubating businesses and uh, for you know in the final two years of school they spend 400 hours in the pursuit of a digital business and uh, and I think it's a very similar concept to what you're helping young people with because the confidence they get from seeing you know able to add value um, be of service I think this is one of the things that creates immediate meaning for us yeah it does I mean your maths and English your algebra your science, I mean, yeah, that can be useful and helpful. But if I'm honest with you, I've never used algebra since year 11, and that's a long time. But what I have used is needing to public speak in front of people. I needed to build relationships and networks. I've needed to, you know, get that confidence, that assertiveness to stand up for myself. All those I have used and I needed that, whether that was to get my licence, whether that was to get that first job, whether it was to do a course or study, whether it's to travel as well. How much, you know, culture and experience do you have while travelling? Well, you need to be confident. You need to be assertive. You need to be, you know, switched on, be able to function in different countries and feel like you're safe in every country. So it's all those skills that you actually use every day, whereas your algebra you might just use or, you you know, once here and there. But, yeah, those, that's why the life skills and living skills I feel are so important. Do you think we're missing these in schools? Should this be part of the curriculum? Yeah, definitely. And some of the schools here in Australia are slowly starting to take that on board and starting to program that in, but not every single one. takes a few workers. um, I'm working with the school at the moment who she loves this stuff, so she's actually programmed it in her sessions, but it's not specific, so it's very, you know, broad. It's not like let's do this, let's get you an outcome. It's more like let me just tell you what it takes to get interviewed it's not enough you know they can watch YouTube one guy actually asked me a few weeks ago he goes well what makes you different at Inner Spark you know I can go on YouTube and watch what you're teaching I said that's great I said but was it engaging was it specific for your learning style because I'm meeting all different learning styles and what age were they targeting there because if they just stand in there talking staring at the screen you know a lot of people aren't going to take that information on board and use it so we have to target all different learning styles and I'm big about that because from my teaching, that's what I've learned. So I think that's what makes me different and I think, yes, I would love uh, teachers to take this on board. I'd love to speak more with schools about how this could be implemented and that is a goal, a bigger goal because we have to make goals for ourselves, don't we? So we'll get well, there, we hopefully. I mean, you know, uh, well, I guess there's two kind of... Uh, streams of thought on this um so i've actually recently read the kind of no goal movement uh, manifesto, oh, yeah. and i thought that was quite yep. fascinating um and maybe that is more about approaching every day 
um, you know, as the defining day. So it's about being brilliant every day. It's not necessarily yeah. about chasing down that goal. But I, 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 I'm, I'm testing a few different uh, methodologies there. So I'm going to come back to you on that one. Oh, day. yeah. Let me know how you go. Definitely. Send me any books you have. I'd love to. I'm always good for reading something fresh and new. Might change my mind. <laughs> well, uh, you know, th- th- this is it because um, I think we're evolving a new way of existing. We're evolving new ways of doing business. We're constantly being, uh, I don't know, surprised, delighted, amazed by what teenagers and adolescents are actually able to achieve. So in our house, my wife uh, frequently says, your age is not your limitation. Justin Bieber had an international hit by the time he was 12. Yeah. (laughs) And, uh, uh, and I, I, I think this is a really interesting idea about just unlocking young people's view of potential because with these digital platforms that we're all using, what we can see is you can go from nothing to having a following in a moment. You just have to have some great content and put it out there. And if, when you're talking about you know, presentation skills, communication skills, relationship skills, networking skills. I think you're absolutely right. Those are the fundamentals of operating in the digital economy because it is about a highly networked, uh, you know, group that is following you in some way, participating, supporting. And then, of course, it's absolutely about building some kind of trust and that's the relationship part you can't have a relationship that's sustained without trust and um and so this kind of just activates this networked approach and if you blend that with the presentation skills you've got a youtuber on your hands you've got a podcaster on your hands and the barriers to entry are really really low for kids all they need is a phone at the end of the day and (laughs) a message maybe and um, it sounds like you're helping them find that message. Yeah, and trying to, you know, unlock that because a lot of them feel like they've never been told that they're good at something. They've never heard the words, good on your mate. They've never heard that stuff. A lot of them never had positive people around them to say, you know, you've done well, you finished year 7, 8, 9, 10, you're 13, 14, 15. So I have young people that cry all the time when I said they do a good job. And I'm like, why are you crying? They're like, because no one's ever told me that in my whole life. I'll never forget the first girl that cried because I nearly cried with her. I thought, wow, if she was 16 and no one ever told her she's done a good job or thanked her for anything. And she just cried. She cried and cried and cried because she was never told that. So. So are you, in fact, treating the right people or should you be treating the parents? And Well, yeah, I guess um, I worked in a, with a lot of parents um, and it was difficult in a lot of ways because they couldn't see where they needed to change. It was all about, you know, the problem was with the young person. But then you had a lot of parents that were willing to change. I mean, the the fact social media came in, they needed to learn that, they needed to see what their child was engaging in, the platforms, you know, safety, everything. So a few of them were willing to work, but there was a lot of resistance and there still is a lot of resistance from parents because they feel, you know, they're going to give their kids whatever they learned from their generations and their parents and their grandparents and that's the only way to do it. 
But society is changing so quickly that we actually have to be open to how it's changing with all this digital world. It didn't exist before. Facebook just started when I was in high school and I had no idea. I'm like, what? yeah, whatever that is. And now it's like it's what we are on all the time. So we have to adapt to it. We don't have to love it and we don't have to be, you know, submerged into it, but we need to understand it. And that's what I say to the parents. You just need to understand it, you know, have so that gives you that peace of mind. Yeah, so definitely parents are a big one. Yeah, I, I, I find that just being up to speed with at least uh, some of the basics of what the, the kids mm. are interested in seems to be a way of building at least an initial bridge uh, for anybody that's had a teenager and tried to get a conversation going that uh, is beyond, you know, a video game um, <laughs> or the latest specs on some phone or gaming PC, which is uh, is interesting. I, I always find it amazing just the level of information that they can consume because there's so much out there on YouTube. Every single device, every single game is analyzed to the nth degree. And so our kids kind of come back to us and they can quote all of this stuff. So the capacity, you know, is there. I, I'm, I'm, it never it ceases to amaze me. Um, but what are you seeing? Is there a kind of a trend around any apps, uh, any technology that you, you see these kids particularly using at the moment? Yeah, well, um, gaming is a big one here. Lots of young people Which involved. Games? In, um, so games like video games and like, the... Like, like, what, like, uh, like Fortnite? Is Fortnite... Yes, Fortnite yes. Fortnite everywhere. Yeah, it's um, but it's really creating a lot of other problems. So I know you had Barry the other day on your podcast, and for example, the back problems these kids are getting—they're coming in hunched so badly that they can actually not straighten out, um, and that they've got pains in their neck and they're having headaches, and they're like, "I don't know why I feel so sick," because they're so like the way they're sitting, they're so invested in this gaming that they're just hunched over. And one dad actually asked me, he goes, how do I get him off that? And I'm like, well, it's persistence, first of all. And it's like so having, um, you know, go have a conversation with him and take him away to do something together by constantly giving him that laptop. And they went overseas and he still took it with him. And the kid was, instead of being outside in the beautiful Europe scenery, the kid was still inside on that. And I actually went um, to, well, I was around and they're a family friend. And I said, take it off turn it off. We're going outside. Like it's just those things that gaming is huge. And it's also the violence around it, which is creating also a different world in their mindset, right? Violence is the answer. Uh, you know, be aggressive. It's creating all of that stuff and changing people internally. So are we aggressive? Are we passive? Are we passive aggressive or are we assertive? Which behavior type are we choosing? So I can also see it changing that mindset. So physically, Mentally and emotionally, they're being affected. That's massive here at the moment. And obviously the social media, I mean, there's something new every month I'm trying to learn, what I'm trying to keep up, what's next. You know, young people come to me, they go, do you know this and TikTok, have you done this and that? I'm like, no, I haven't learned it yet. It's only been out for four weeks. Can you just give me a second? So I find them teaching me stuff all the time. Um, but, yeah, social media and the gaming is huge here, huge. I'm sure it is around the world as well. Well, I think it is, but uh, we've got a real problem. So actually we had, um, 
like most families, a PS3, PS Vita, um, whatever the uh, Xbox um, games were, the, the whole suite, everything was there. Yeah. And what we found was that the kids started to really portray the behavior of an addict, which I thought was fascinating because it played out exactly the same way that an addict would play out. So it started with the manipulation, lying, <laughs> stealing, uh, you know, an iPad or stealing the PS Vita to go and play yeah. everything. And so we, what we actually ended up doing was saying, well, look, this is the behavior of an addict and this is the behavior of you. So you tell us what's different here. And, um, what we also did a lot of research and actually we found that, you know, the, the kind of the level of dopamine addiction that you get in mm. anticipation of completing that next level is what really keeps you in the game. So it's not actually the winning of the level that keeps you there. It's the anticipation, right? And so you're addicted to the process of it. Oh, and, uh, yeah. and this was very powerful for us to, to start to try and, and wean the kids. And even now, you know, we're, we're, we're very ready to call out when we start to see certain behavior around the phones or the iPads. But I wonder, Daniela, in your experience, you know, are we kind of exercising this muscle of addiction? Uh, are we making kids more prone? Is there any evidence that actually, you know, digital kind of this digital addiction, certainly from a gaming perspective, is changing the way we process addiction and maybe making us even more prone to it as adults? Yeah, I think so. I mean, there's there's always research going to be done into things like this, and I'm sure some new studies will come out soon given how quickly things are changing with the digital world. But, um, yeah, you're right in terms of addiction. It's about like, you know, Ralph, you could identify that and you guys did the research around that and you took initiative as a parent and caregiver. But often it's too hard for parents and caregivers. They give up. So they said, oh, look, I tried to tell him to stop. Uh, he said no and he continued, you know. And so they don't want to argue with their child and they don't want to create conflict within the family home. So, therefore, the addiction then just becomes more and more and more and more because, you know, the parent or the caregiver doesn't want to get involved, wants to just leave it. And so then we have to train the parents and caregivers about the confidence around speaking around this hard topic and having the courage to take stuff away and say that's enough. There are some rules. There are some boundaries. I think it comes back to that, that we need to remember the rules and boundaries. I mean, no one's perfect and just because I'm a worker doesn't mean I'm an amazing mum and that I get everything right either. And I'm quite honest with saying that to my young people as well. I'm the first person to sometimes be, you know, impatient and go, you know, all right, fine, just eat that last packet of chips, you know. But then it's about that mindset that if I keep doing that, I have to learn, I have to know that it's going to get out of control and it does get out of control quite quickly. So I think it does come back to also training the young person. So both, both the young person and, well, educating, I'd use the word educating, educating both the young person and the parent together around what is this causing? You know, is it causing an addiction? And definitely pulling that apart, which we do often, especially around the family conflict stuff because stuff like the gaming, you know, the it creates isolation, all these things, and then young people have been running away from home. So they're the, I do the family conflict mediation sessions and they're the biggest things 
young person feels like, you know, they're not, don't have freedom at home. So they run away and they think by running away that they're going to have all the freedom they want. But then they realize by running away, they're sleeping, you know, down south in the toilet block in the middle of the night. So it's not the freedom they think that it actually is. So, yeah, it's, it's a big topic. I mean, we could talk about it day and night, but I think it is about educating both the young person and the parent or caregiver. And so how are you doing that? You know, if people join Inner Spark and get onto your program, you've spoken about this digital format that you've got. So clearly there's yep. some self-paced learning, um, but you're also engaging with them. You're, you're providing one-to-one sessions. Uh, at the moment, we've done mostly that they log in and they have they do it at their own pace. So there's uh, certain videos, worksheets that they do. They can engage on a side level via email and social media. In my next few bigger programs coming up, they'll be able to engage with me through the platform like this <laughs> where we'll have these sessions and these open forums for students just to kind of engage with me and unpack things that they need to. And then I'm going to the school in a couple of weeks. I'm pilot, piloting a program and getting out there uh, face-to-face with the young people so they can evaluate my programs and tell me what works and what they feel doesn't work. And they're the best people to give me that feedback. So from there, I'll be able to then, you know, make those adjustments and changes and see what the need is face-to-face with some new fresh young people who haven't engaged in it just yet. So I think that's really important. So then I can see which direction to take it. Do they want more of the one-on-one or are they happy with this, how the setup of this digital platform will work? Because I love digital platform too, but I'm a very, I love to talk and I can talk underwater. So I love the face-to-face stuff too. So I'm trying to um, engage with schools mostly and some organisations in community services so I don't lose that because I, I like the value of that. But also I'm aware young people are on this digital platforms. So I have to really work with 2020. And I think we all do have to acknowledge that, right? Yeah. And are they going to come directly to you? Do you see teenagers signing up for this, going to the website and saying, this is it, Daniela, I'm signing up, I'm committed to it. Is that happening? (laughs) Well, well, yes, I've got, um, so I have my first few sales. Now I haven't officially launched these other few programs yet or the website. This is just through people knowing about it. So, yeah, I'm surprised and I was really excited. But once I get these other two programs up this week, then I'll be able to officially launch it out then. And I think it's about getting people to know that it exists. And once that happens, there'll be lots of them who want to do it at their own pace, you know, in the comfort of their own home and really work on it. Because there's lots of young people that are able to do that. They just haven't been given the opportunity or the platform to do so. So, yeah, I'm just trying to create the best one that I can for them. Yeah, it'll be fascinating to see the motivation that leads them to actually consume this material and start practising it. Uh, Correct. I think our course that we just did um, previously, will. it says that if they pay for something, uh, then they, you know, they've locked themselves in and they want to get value for the, the kind of dollar that they've paid, right? So I think by charging a low-cost fee for these young people, obviously, um, you know, a lot of them don't have jobs and their parents would be paying for it as well. 
then they have, you know, oh, sugar, I need to, I need to finish this because mum paid for it or I paid for it. So it's about checking in with them as well. And, you know, they disengage and then they re-engage. I mean, so do we all. Like sometimes when I've signed up for courses, I'm like, yes, I'm so excited. I'm full of energy and I can't wait to do it. And then it's week three. I'm like, Ugh, oh, how am I going to finish it? So, you know, it's human nature. We engage, we disengage, we engage, we disengage, and I'm prepared for that. Yeah, I think group work is an amazing way to provide an antidote to that, and especially when you can share experiences and viewpoints. You know, and you've got a lot of exercises and tools that you teach, so people kind of share the idea of, well, what this worked for me. I I, I used this in this way can you share you know one or two examples of a of of a a tool or a technique that you teach people yeah so I've got some resources that I've just um uploaded onto my website which have little decks of cards and they are actually strength cards and I use them all the time with my young people so they've got um pictures so depending on what type of young person I'm working with could be just a word it could be pictures and words it could be um you know a combination of both and I lay them out on a table and I ask them to focus on some words that pop out to them or a picture that stands out to them and that's where we start talking about the positives because if I ask you what you're positive at especially young people they go oh I don't know (laughs) so when we do these activities they kind of see visually um, something to pick up and then we work from there so definitely these um, I think these visual and these practical things really work because they don't want to listen to me all the time. My voice can get annoying. I say that all the time. So do I just want to stand there, pretend I'm the expert? I'm not the expert 100%. But I want to use all different types of tools and there's cards, there's notepads, there's little workbooks, but me talking as well. So there's a combination to meet all those learning styles to then get some results. And some people will like to do their activities. Some people would rather watch and they learn like that. So we've got the visual, the hearers, the doers. So we have to try and target all of them. And depending on what type of a learner you are will depend on what and how you observe the information and take it on board. That's what I think. Yeah, it's great that you've got that spread. So if you're kind of looking at people that you want to share and collaborate with and and help, what are we talking about? Is it the, the care industry, the, the kind of adolescent social care industry in general, teenagers themselves, parents? Yeah, I think it's a combination. And I think if we work together with the young person and I engage with the young people as well as the parent and caregivers, that's great because we're t- educating again. I go back to that, both. But then the organisations, I mean, that's where all the other experts are that I'd love to connect with more and more. The psychologists, the counsellors, the GPs, they all have value and can teach me something as well as I'm sure I could maybe teach them one little thing back, you know. So I think it's, it's a beautiful world, social welfare and social work in general, because there's a lot of tips, tools and positives that we can all share amongst one another. So I think a combination of all of them is definitely what I'm, I would love for young people around the world to try these programs and see how it fits within their countries because I know a lot of European countries, uh, you know, for example, my family's from Croatia, so the education stuff is harder there 
compared to our high schools here. There's a different um, literacy expectation at a certain age. So it'd be wonderful to see how, you know, people from Europe and young people from Europe would take these courses. They'd probably go, oh, we know that. It's too easy. You know, it'd be interesting to see, you know, and what the parents think as well. Yeah, I suspect the the struggle is the same globally and therefore the opportunities that you can create are going to be very similar. I certainly see uh, a lot of the same problems playing out in Europe as uh, as you've described in Australia and having spent time in Australia mm. with uh, with friends and, and and colleagues that have children I think um, I think I see a lot of similarity so th- there's a, a huge opportunity for you to create a global stage and uh, I want to ask you just before we we wrap up on, on this episode, Daniela. So if you had to go back and give some advice to, I don't know, your 15-year-old self, mm. um, what would you be saying? What would you be saying right now? Oh, 15 years old. Mm, that's interesting. I think back then I was uh, very, you know, I was out there but I was still shy and I would talk, you know, and be confident on the outside, but inside my heart was racing. I'd feel sick. I'd be judging myself all the time, all the time. And I think if I gave myself a bit of a break, you know, internally, I might not have felt so stressed out inside. So I think that young people at that age need to, you know, cut themselves a bit of slack, you know, and don't take things as hard as, as they do. Yeah, that definitely, if I go back on now, you're taking me back to when I'm 15. <laughs> oh, goodness, that brings up a lot, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, definitely wouldn't be a teacher. Uh, if you asked me at 15 if I'd be a teacher and if I'd be a, you know, p- person who speaks in front of crowds, I'd say, no way, Jose, don't even go there. And now that I do it, I, I just can't believe that I do. So anyone can do it. And that's what I do say in my teachings and my videos because back in the day there was no chance in my mindset that I would have. But I'm here today and I talk everyone's ear off. (laughs) Well, I think you've definitely developed those communication skills. So, (laughs) um, well, yeah, you know, it's important that you can connect with people in what you do and it feels like you've, you've really perfected that. It's amazing that you've dedicated your life to young people. It's a true investment in our future. And uh, it's been an absolute delight listening to you talk about the bleeding edge of teenagedom and Mm -hmm. adolescence. And uh, we really look forward to seeing how this program develops for you, Daniela. It's exciting and uh, we really wish you all the best for the launch. Thank you very much. And thanks for having me and taking the time out of your busy schedule to chat to me. I really appreciate it. And hopefully we can pop on together one day in the future. Well, I look forward to that. Well, uh, this has been the Bleeding Edge podcast. I'm your host, Ralph Banker. We'll see you on the edge. Ha! <laughs>